Your official station to talk Yankees. The Fan, 1019 FM and always live on the free Odyssey app. Download it today. Going on 5 a.m. The warm-up show with Alan Jerry. Started the show talking about week 10 in the NFL and how it was great for both the Jets and the Giants. Jets didn't even play, but they still come out winners as the Bills lost to the Vikings. And now the Jets have a chance to take over first place in the AFC East if they could win in New England on Sunday. What a huge game that is going to be. Man, I'm just thankful. What are you thankful for? For this Thanksgiving, I'm thankful that we have meaningful New York football. And not only are the teams relevant, but they are playing huge games. Giants not only got a win on Sunday against the Texans, they've won multiple times this past weekend. Cowboys lose to the Packers. The Eagles lose at home to the Commanders. All of a sudden, the division is in play for the Giants. Now, they actually have to win a division game to do so, but still, they got the Lions at home this week. You hope they can take care of business. And then you set the scene for what should be a great game, one of the biggest games of the year. We could go from Jets-Patriots Sunday at 1 o'clock, huge game, Jets win, AFC East first place, to Thursday, Giants-Cowboys Thanksgiving Day, where the Giants can send a message to the world and let everybody know that they're for real. Man. The New York football scene has gotten really good around here, and they're doing it in different ways. Boy, wouldn't it be something, too, if the Giants, on top of performing the way they are, add Odell Beckham Jr.? This city would be on fire for the Giants. I don't think it's necessarily going to happen. I mean, I don't know. I mean, the reports seem to think that it's either going to be the Cowboys or the Giants, and I also don't think it's the difference-making piece for the Giants. I'll tell you this. They become a little bit more exciting to watch. They're fun to watch now because of the way that they play. But you add Odell Beckham Jr., assuming he's actually healthy, and that's a big assumption because we don't know. Assuming he's, and these things usually take, you know, probably by next year, it'll be full Odell. But it would be exciting, and it'd be a great story. As Saquon Barkley said, I agree, it would be a great story. So we've discussed that. We've discussed Aaron Judge and the Yankees and Hal Steinbrenner talking about how, you know, making, you know, how, quote, I don't want to make excuses, and then goes on to talk about the injuries again. Stop me if you've heard this before. Oh, the injuries, Ben Attendi, LeMay, yeah, okay, right, so those guys were the difference. Got it. Okay, thank you. I think we understand where the Yankees stand right now. Judge, they bring back Judge, bring back Rizzo, run it all back, and expect a different result because it was just Ben Attendi and LeMay. Now, obviously, they want to bring back Aaron Judge, but... The Yankees are in a spot where they may be outbid by the Giants. And then you talk about Rizzo, the Astros made him or are making him their number one priority. The Yankees all of a sudden are going to lose out to the Astros and Giants on players that they want to bring back. Why? Because they don't have enough money or they're not willing to spend it? Come on, Hal. Stop with the excuses. Stop acting like the bronze bombers. Go out there and... Flex your Yankee muscle. 
Talked about the Mets as well, where it seems with the Mets, it's all about the pitching, 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 more pitching, pitching. You can never have enough pitching. Although when they did have pitching and built on pitching, they had the guys lined up in Atlanta, they got swept. They had the pitching lined up in the wildcard round, they got beat. So for me, it can't be all about pitching, 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 pitching. They also need to add some bats, add some offense. So there you have it. Jets, Giants, Week 10 in the NFL. And a little Mets and Yankees hot stove. We threw in a little, you know, ripping the Knicks here, but the Knicks aren't, they're irrelevant. And, you know, they're, they're so bad now that it's just a matter of Tibbs watch. He'll get fired, and when he does, then we'll talk about the Knicks and who's going to take over, and if it matters. We've, we've been down this road plenty of times before over the last 20 years. You know the drill. Knicks give you false hope with one decent year, and then it's back to irrelevancy after that. And getting embarrassed you know, every night that they play. 877-337-6666. Ray is calling from Waterbury, Connecticut. What's up, Ray? Hi, Sal. How you doing? How are you, Ray? Good, Sal. Getting back to DeGrom, now that his his market has seemed to be shrinking, the bottom line, let's get it done. He either wants to be here, we're going to give him a good offer, we're not going to break the bank. we got to know, we, this can't drag on, because we got to know what pitchers we're going after, and we gotta, we got to know how much money we're going to spend on. We need bats. And there's no better perfect fit. I don't care. N- Nimmo wants over $100 million. I'd let him go and p- and get Trey Turner in here. He gives you enough power. He's the perfect fit for this team right now. Well, and, and, uh, he doesn't and give he's you, a difference maker. He is a difference maker, but it doesn't give you the power that you need. But that's nitpicking. Look, I would love Trey Turner. It's going to cost you $300 million. I don't think the Mets are going to be willing to go for $300 million for Trey Turner on top of what they gave. I mean, I'm assuming it's going to be $300 million, on top of yeah. what they've gave for, uh, given for Lindor. Plus, you know, I don't know. We don't know if Trey Turner is open to playing second base permanently or is he open to playing center field for the Mets. I mean, these are unknowns with Trey Turner, but he's certainly somebody, and I think they will, Ray, look in at Turner. He's certainly somebody worth looking at. Well, they said they're, they, you know, they said they love, you know, they right. like the player. I mean, he, he's, I mean, yeah, they're probably not going to spend that kind. They already got uh, Lindora at that kind of a contract. But we need that. You know, we got to fill out this rotation. If you get the Grom, then get us a number two. You, we need two pitchers at least. Well, what do you and, mean? And the, the then we got to concentrate on bats. The Grom is the number two behind, Sh- or yeah, if you want right, the Grom right. one, then Scherzer. So you have that. You know, Carrasco's yeah. Carrasco's coming back right now. If you look at the Mets rotation, and everybody's like, "Oh, the staff. What is the staff going to look mm-hmm. like right now?" Well, right now. It's it's Scherzer. It is mm-hmm. going to be David Peterson. Now again, who these? I mean, look, maybe they trade some of these guys. I'm just going on right now. What you're looking at? It's Scherzer, David Peterson, Tyler McGill, and Carlos Carrasco. I believe that that is it for the starting rotation. But still, that's four guys. I mean, you only start five. So if they could get to Grom, their starting rotation is basically going to be set. They're going to look to add depth arms. Maybe that's an Andrew Haney or, or whoever. I mean, I'm sure the Mets are going to look to add six or seven arms, but or at least have six or seven arms ready to go for their starting rotation. But I'm not – I'd be okay if they went into the season with Scherzer, McGill, Carrasco, Peterson, and a fifth starter – if it meant really beefing up that offense, I don't think that they need Degrom. Right, well, I agree with you, Sal. If you get, you know, p- people are, uh, you know, McGill could be a, a good piece there. You know, he showed he, mm-hmm. he showed signs of that beginning of the year until he got hurt. So you know, you you, you like you said, you get start off with that stuff. I can live with that. But the thing, as long you, the as thing you, you build the bullpen and and get back. Well, the bullpen is where they have 
basically yeah. no arms outside of Edwin Diaz, and I guess Drew Smith will be there. The thing that would worry me, though, Ray, and I'm sure it's worrying them, is the rotation depth because it's hard to do that, as we've seen over the years with the Mets. It's hard to account for who's going to be there and who isn't. And the Mets somehow survived this year without Jacob deGrom and Max Scherzer for the majority of the time. And they did a nice job. You know, Taiwan Walker, Chris Bassett, McGill when he was healthy before he went down, David Peterson. But you can't have, if you go in with a thin rotation, who's going to be, let's say Scherzer goes down and misses a month or two. Who's filling in for him? Which is why then you say, well, it'd be nice to have DeGrom because in the event that one of them get hurt, they still have the other one. Or you go out there and get Justin Verlander, another top arm. I just would hate to see that happen and neglect getting a big bat because I really think this team needs a big bat. Right. That was the that was the uh, downfall last year. We couldn't hit with power when, when it got down to the, the big weekend. Or the other downfall was that the big pitchers that they have here and were built on didn't do their job. Right. Besides, and Bassett, too. Bassett came up small. Well, that's what I'm saying. The, the, their three guys, <laughs> their top three guys, all didn't. Uh, live up to the expectations that are on them. Now, I know with DeGrom... You're right, You're right Sal. Well, DeGrom was okay, and thank you for the call, Ray. appreciate you checking in. DeGrom was... Thank oh, you. Oh, yep. No, thanks for making it. The, the starts by DeGrom in Atlanta and against the Padres were okay, but they weren't Jacob DeGrom dominant starts, and that's an issue. DeGrom gave up... Look, two things with DeGrom that bothered me. The start in Oakland... Unacceptable. That Saturday game, he gets lit up, and I remember well because I was actually in San Francisco. I got off the plane and was in the Uber to the hotel about to go to the game. And DeGrom was getting lit up against the A's. I went to the game the next day, of course, where the Mets crushed the A's. But anyway, DeGrom was getting lit up. That game changes everything. Had they won that game... They likely, and I know by the end result, they would have won the division, but things would have been different. Braves would have played harder, potentially in those final couple of games against the Marlins. Mets, you know, who knows how it plays out with the Mets. Anyway, they likely, though, would have won the division if DeGrom won that game on Saturday against the A's. Fast forward to his start against Atlanta on that Friday night, he gives up three solo home runs. That set a bad tone for the series, whether it's all on him or not, whether it turned out to be the best-pitched game from a Mets starter or not, and it was because Scherzer was that much worse and Bassett was way worse than both of them combined. But DeGrom didn't have his dominant stuff to go out there and set the tone and keep his team in the ballgame and have them, you know, the Mets take advantage of a great start by him. Fast forward to the postseason, and DeGrom was good in that second game against the Padres. Good enough to be able to you know, win the game and get Machado out in a big spot. Still not typical vintage dominant Jacob DeGrom circa 2018, 2019, even 2020. And those are some of the problems that you know I had with him. But Scherzer was even worse. Max Scherzer picked the worst time for his two bad starts, two worst starts of the season. Atlanta and then against San Diego. Can't happen in Atlanta and versus the Padres. Can't happen. I mean, they purposely went with Max Scherzer game one of the postseason 
after the embarrassment of getting swept, after the embarrassment of blowing the division, after the embarrassment of having to be in the wild card round, they go with Max Scherzer specifically to change that tone and that feel. And even though I knew they were toast after they got swept by the Braves, I I wanted to be hopeful and start to get your hopes up and you start getting excited and think, all right, you know what, fresh slate here, fresh start. Max Scherzer is going to go out there and redeem himself. Well, guess what? He didn't. He made it even worse. And right out of the gate, they were done with Josh Bell. Right out of the gate. Anyway, the point is, the Mets chose a year ago to build their team on starting pitching. They survived a regular season as a wildcard team, but still survived a regular season in which they won 101 games without Jacob deGrom or Max Scherzer for the majority of the year. Remember, they were built going into the year on the one-two punch of DeGrom and Scherzer. They lost DeGrom from the start. They lost Scherzer in the middle. DeGrom only pitched a you know, start of 11 games. Think about that, the minimal impact that both those guys had. But they were lucky enough to have both those guys back healthy in time for the postseason. And, you know, the big run, the big series against the Braves and then the postseason. They had it lined up the way that they wanted. And they got punched in the mouth. They got swept by Atlanta. That, to me, should be enough to change the philosophy at least a little bit. You know, we get on the Yankees for being thick-headed. Well, the Mets are also being thick-headed to where Billy Epler should realize that, hey, you know what? We were thin offensively last year. Not like, oh, yeah, we could go find uh, a right-handed platoon bat to DH, you know, like Roth or whatever, you bring in Vogel back. I mean, come on. Didn't work. It wasn't nearly enough. And I'm not saying you should neglect pitching. Of course you can't. But there's got to be a balance. And unless Steve Cohen is saying, hey, it's okay. Bring Jake back and then go get a big bat. Unless he's saying that, and I'm not sure that he is, then the Mets need to focus on the bats. Because they're doubling down on bringing it back again with the pitching. They've made it very clear. Now, I don't know about Bassett or what his deal is. But they've made it very clear, again, that they want DeGrom back. They want, And I'm okay with that, like I said. Just at what cost? What's it going to prevent them from doing? They're also going to have to fill out that rotation. And they make it, you know, they're, they're talking about, um, one of the pitchers from Japan potentially getting involved with him, which I'd be fine with. Hey, if he's good, he's good. And I love the fact that, you know, when players come over from Japan, it's a big draw and it's fun to watch. Every fifth day, it's hard, though, to measure the numbers that they have in, you know, the, the Japan League as opposed to here. And how do we know how it translates? You never know. It's a roll of the dice either way. But the Mets are looking to... Add arms, multiple arms. You can never have enough enough pitching. Yeah, but you know what you need as well on top of that great pitching or pitching depth? You need offense. Because when the starters don't have it, when DeGrom gives up three homers in Atlanta, when Scherzer gets lit up in a wild card game, you have to have confidence that the Mets lineup can come right back. Kind of like the Phillies did. Look at how the Phillies are built. They have their one horse with Wheeler. 
Nola is okay. 3-4, whatever. They have some trusted arms in the bullpen. And they won with their big bats. Bryce Harper, Real Muto, Schwarber. They won with their bats. Phillies play lousy defense. Have one top starter. You know, the Mets are looking to get two top starters. Lousy defense. An okay bullpen with, what, two or three guys that you would say would be lights out? And I don't even know if I would say lights out, but just two or three guys that you could trust in the Phillies pen. Bad defense. No depth in the rotation. Not a dominant, overpowering bullpen. But yet the lineup carried them through the postseason to the World Series. And look, I I understand you look at the Astros and say you look look at their dominant pitching. That's great. You want to build pitching like that? Understood. I think the Mets are trying to do that via free agency. But hard to rely on, you know, Max Scherzer at his age, at this point in his career. And DeGrom, who's often injured and didn't look the way that he did when he was at his best. Chris Bassett, who you want to call it an aberration, those two bad starts, but those are the two biggest starts of the year. And a guy who went out there and was consistent for the Mets all year long did not get the job done in the biggest spot. So how can you trust those guys to bring them back again? And even if it's just DeGrom and Scherzer and not Bassett, fine. But, I mean, the Mets could go, they could have those guys healthy throughout the whole year or do the same thing they did this year, not be healthy. Mets still get in the playoffs. How could you trust that they're going to be good? But let's say everything goes well. For those two guys, Mets win the division. Game one of the postseason. Do you trust Scherzer and DeGrom 100%? Scherzer or DeGrom 100%? I don't. 877-337-6666. Point is, you need to build balance. And I feel like the Mets have been too narrow-minded looking at the rotation. Just do it. Call the fan at 877-337-6666. Powered by Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com. Back on the fan, 877-337-6666. Man, I love watching Justin Fields play football. He does remind me of Michael Vick, and I consider myself a Michael Vick expert watching him from when he first came in the league with the Falcons. Difference is, you know, the, the Falcons used to win with Vick when he was playing well like that. I don't understand why the Bears, especially against the Lions, and, you know, it's typical, you know, typical Chicago or whatever, Bears, just bad luck, where... They finally now have the quarterback, or at least it appears that way. And they've been waiting forever to have a real quarterback. They finally get the quarterback in Justin Fields that is just doing things that are remarkable on the football field. And their defense can't hold. Now, I know he made a terrible pick six, a terrible throw of pick six, and that's bound to happen. But you got to be able to overcome that. I mean, that is a devastating loss. And they've now lost three straight games. They deserve, Justin Fields deserves better. 
And I'll tell you, I wasn't sold on Fields at the time coming out of Ohio State. I liked him. I liked his toughness that he showed in the playoff game. I forget what bowl game that was. Um, but I liked Fields. I have a thing for Ohio State. I don't know why. But I liked Fields coming out. I did not love him, though, to a point where, you know, for example, the Falcons had the fourth pick. I didn't necessarily want them to take him with that pick. But they ended up taking a tight end anyway. Clowns. Anyway, Fields is, um, he's been tremendous here. And he is lighting it up on the ground. He's also throwing the football pretty well, too. I mean, he did throw for two touchdowns. I know he's not throwing it for a bunch of yards, but he has been fun to watch. Reminds me of Michael Vick, a young Michael Vick. No, Fleeks, tell me, what happened here with Jim Moore Jr.? I saw something him in the news with UConn. UConn's been pretty good here, I guess. Yeah, he has UConn bowl eligible. So I was wondering, were you a Jim Moore fan when he was the coach of the Falcons? No, and a matter of fact, I met him once at the Super Bowl. I forget which one it was, but I was working with Mike or whatever, assistant producing. And I was thinking of this the other day because I saw something about Jim Moore pop up in my Twitter timeline, which was probably about whatever he's doing with UConn football. Nice guy. I didn't like the hire. I hated the firing of Dan Reeves, similar to where I hated the firing of Mike Smith, which is why I never liked Dan Quinn. So they give the job to Jim Moore Jr., and he turns Michael Vick into a West Coast offense quarterback, which made no sense. Now, my father wasn't a football coach. I'm not a football coach. Even I know Michael Vick, was never meant to play in the West Coast offense, which is an offense, as you know, Fleegs, predicated on accurate quarterbacks. Hey, listen, it's the opposite of what Michael... It is literally uh, accurate the one thing and he short done. passes, the guy had a cannon for an arm. It's literally the one thing he can't do! He is an inaccurate quarterback, to your point. He throws bombs down the field, and he runs. He runs the football well. They tried to make Michael Vick... Steve Young, I don't know if it was because he was lefty or because he could run. Dude, what are you doing? So I never, and even in 2004, if you look at it, they were a dominant team. Vic was still better in 2002 because all he did in 2004 was tuck it and run. He did not throw at all. Tuck it, run. Make up for horrible offense by tucking it and running and making one big play, flipping the field. It was a... Fake offense, similar to what the Giants did in uh, their last year in the playoffs, where it was one play to Odell Beckham Jr. to change the game. Anyway, I never loved that 2004 team, even though they went to the championship game and lost to the Eagles in Philadelphia. So, anyway, we'll get to the point of the story. I meet Jim Mora. I think you know where this is headed. I meet Jim Mora. I see him. You know, at the Super Bowl, you're out there at Radio Row and all these people around, and I see Jim Mora Jr., what do I do? I'm going to give you a multiple choice here, Fleegs. Option A, hey, Jim, Salicata here with the Mike Francesa Show. Love to have you on as a guest. You free at any time this week? Or B, Jim, why did you run the West Coast offense with Michael Vick? Well, I know you went with B, and honestly, that's what I or any like <laughs> real sports fan would do in that moment. If I ran into any of the former coaches <laughs> of my team, forget professional. It's like, dude. What were you thinking? <laughs> like, if, if I ever say, met Paul Hackett, or like, it's like, dude, what was wrong with you that you didn't listen to? Like, I know Westhoff told you about. Like, how did you think Doug Bryan was making that kick multiple <laughs> times? And even after he missed it the first time, you're saying, you know what? 
Forget trying to get more yards. Let's just do that again. Right. It's one of those moments where we dream about that for years. Now, this was obviously years later. This was not, he was already fired by the Falcons. He was probably annoyed at how his career was going to that point. And here comes some nobody at Radio Row harassing. Basically, I, and I don't even think Listen, I said, There's no way he hadn't been asked that question before. Like, it, it had to have, someone's had to challenge I, him on I, that. I, had, I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have been able to look myself in the mirror if I didn't do it. Here he is. Here's my opportunity. I've been waiting for years to ask this numbskull why he went with the wet. And, and, you know, and now look, remember the whole thing, how it turned out with Vic. And he was, you know, he was a, not, not the guy at the time. Obviously, Bobby Petrino was there, but he kind of let Vic get away with whatever was going on back then. Vic started to go the wrong way under the leadership of Jim Moore Jr., but. No, I looked at him. I didn't even say, like, oh, Sal Akata, the fan. I said, hey, Jim, big Falcons fan here. I got to ask you, I just never understood it. What were you doing? Why West Coast offense with the quarterback? Oh, you know, and he, like, he gave me the look of you fat little scrub. and no, You know nothing about football are going to question me, a football coach. And I didn't give a crap because in that moment, I knew I was right, and I. I wonder if this is before or after he had the one year in Seattle. But I wonder if you're also wonder if you're still in his mind when he goes and takes over (laughs) UConn, which has just been, you know, the lowest of the low in college football, and turns them around, gets them to a bowl game, and he goes, "Wonder if that jerk who kind of tried to get one over on me at the Super Bowl, wonder if he's watching now." Now, I I do think, and I wonder if he's listening. Jeez, at UConn, you never know. He might be. Uh, I do think that he handled himself well, and I was not combative, but my question by nature is a negative one. So I could understand how he was just like, yeah, whatever. And, and just basically, before he before it got escalated, he moved on. He hand-waved me, basically, and moved on. That could have been, the like, we've heard stories, especially at Radio Row in the last 10 years, of guys getting into fights. Now, usually they're people <laughs> who work for the same radio station or different radio stations. It's not like one of the former athletes or a coach or anything like that, but that could have been a fun story for Mushnick or Ray Smith yeah. to write in the in one of the tabloids 15 years ago. You know, WFAN Salicata, uh, producer, yeah. gets into a fight with Jim Moore Jr. Now, remember, too, it wasn't like I was asking him on camera or on tape trying to make him look foolish. This was just say, hey, I don't care about anything else right now. I need to know for my own edification, what the hell were you thinking? He should have appreciated it being a little different instead of the, hey, you know, I'm with this show. You're free for this time. We'd love 10 or 15 minutes of you selling whatever product nobody's going to buy and pretending that you were better, you know, a football career than you were. Or, hey, Jim, big fan, blah, 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 blah. No, none of that. I I love the way that you peaked in your first year with the Falcons and then it just got worse and you won fewer and fewer games. He was a good guy, and I do think he – look, he is a good football coach in, in many regards. He, he's his own worst enemy, though, with his personality and, and being a little thick-headed. And, that's, and probably true. that's probably true of your favorite uh, New York coach of the last 15 years in Mangini. That's yeah, true well, of a lot of these guys. Agreed. I loved Mangini, but, and he was definitely his own worst enemy. So I'm trying to I'm think just glad I asked because that you – know, I was like, yeah, Jim Moore's in the news over the weekend. Yeah. Let me ask Sal about this the next time I see him. I totally forgot. I, I, wanna... I mean, I should have known with you I'm going to get something that passionate, and sure <laughs> enough, we did. Right, right. Who knew it would be a story where I was basically confronting him about his misuse? Passionate sports fan. This guy ran the team when Sal was in his 20s. He's probably going to have a strong take on him. And it was probably, I'm trying to think of the year. This was, I believe, when the Super Bowl was in Tampa. So it was, could it have been 2000? You remember which game was there? I would, it might have been the, could it have been the Colts? 
and the Aints, could that have been the year? Does that add up timeline? Yeah, that would have been the beginning of 2010. I think that would work. That so might- it was Mike without dog? Ye- yes. Yeah, because I got yelled at for ta- trying to take a picture with Adam Sandler. Come on, guys. What are we doing here? I'll never forget that. It was my one chance to meet the Sandman and take a picture with him and Kevin James, and I didn't even want to do it because Mike was like, you guys are all giddy trying to take a picture. Produce the show, me and Eddie. It was in Miami that year. Okay, but, Miami. But, but it was definitely, enough. right, Florida, that works. So Miami, and it was, oh, right, it was definitely not Tampa. The year before it was Tampa was the uh, Steelers and the Cardinals. And that was the year, I believe, that Mike was off Radio Row. Remember the umbrella with the rain coming down from the hotel? I don't know if you remember that moment. That was a bad one. So that was Tampa. So it was the next year in Miami, Colts and Saints, right? You said, and yeah, yeah so that was it. So, I, so what was Moore doing? That's what we yeah, got to think. Find. I think that's the year he coached the. Se- so he might have just been fired by the Seahawks, <laughs> or maybe because no, they probably would have fired because the the regular season for them would have been over. But I think he coached the Seahawks in two thousand nine. I'm pretty sure that's the year he coached them. All right, so he might have been out by that point. You guys looking to get picked up by UCLA or whatever the hell it is he's looking to do. And here I am. Here I come along. Right. So he's miserable just because the guy just got fired. He, he ran into the one Falcons fan that wants that that is. He was fired still. on January eighth, two thousand ten. So you're asking him this like three or four weeks after he gets fired, <laughs> after only being allowed to coach the Seahawks for one year. Oh my god. Oh God. Sorry, Jim. I apologize, but I still want answers. What were you doing? And, you know, Greg Knapp, RIP, he was the offensive coordinator of that team. I could never get over that. West Coast offense isn't a problem. It's an off- it's, a, it's a problem with Michael Vick, whose skill set is the complete opposite of a West Coast offense. Anyway, 877-337-6666. Hector is calling from Washington Heights. What's up, Hector? What's up, Sal? I see. Uh, Where have you been? Good to hear from you. What are you talking about, dude? We spoke what? Wednesday last time you worked, I think it was. Oh, oh yeah, that's right. I've been off a few days. <laughs> Let's be for real here. Hey, how's the family, man? Say hi to mom. We'll do. Uh, t- yeah, I know. You know, I'm probably not going to see her again till uh, another Met game next year. But it's been a you know, it'll be a long off season, Hector. We'll we'll do. Yeah, yeah we're going to get into that. Don't worry, buddy. We're going to get into that. But I see we were watching the same thing here because uh, you're sitting there marveling at Justin Fields. And I'm here disgusted, Sal. You know why? Because I drafted him on my fantasy team, right? I had him as my backup, and I had him there for Oh, weeks. no. No. Don't tell me, Hector. You know how it goes. You need to make some stupid moves. And I'm like, ah, I got this guy here. Do I really need him? I'll find a quarterback when I need a quarterback. Uh, and I dropped him. Yeah, I did. Oh. I mean, I got Joe Burrow, but he hasn't had nah, the game. No, nah, no, that's good. Justin Fields is going to win a lot of people, hopefully myself. Yeah. He's going to win a lot of people. If he can't look, if he keeps it up and stays healthy, he's been a difference maker for fantasy. Tell me about it. My cousin who picked him up after I dropped him and who was doing horrible is now on the road. Thanks to Justin Fields. You, you, anyway. might be, you might be first up to get in the WFA and overnight crew uh, fantasy league. Hector, I definitely want a player like you involved in our league. I'm still in third place. All right, all right. <laughs> but I, 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 in. Um, I probably should have started with this. I was going to start with this until you mentioned Justin Fields. 
But I do want to shout out our buddy Eric um, and uh, send him my prayers and condolences. I've spoken to him. You know, he lost his uh, mother, uh, stepmother um, over the weekend, so he's going through a little tough time. So yeah, he, yeah, you're right. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, he did text me and, and let me know about that. So uh, our condolences go out to Eric and his family on the passing of his stepmother. Yes, yes. I, I thought it would just be right. You know, we all met on here. You know, we're all like a family on here, so why not? Um, now to the not-so-much-fun stuff with these Mets. Because um, I don't even want to go next to the don't fire Thibodeau, fire Thibodeau. Like, and it's almost the same thing. It's like, <laughs> you know, you got to have a plan and you got to stick to it, right? Uh, I guess Thibodeau's the plan. You know, whether you stick to that or not, I don't know. I mean, one day I say they should get rid of him, one day I say they should. But with the Mets, uh, I, like, the more the offseason gets, gets going, the more worried I get, <laughs> the more upset I get. Um, you know, I wasn't hiring the Epler hiring. I definitely didn't like the the trade deadline. Um, and I'm, I'm terrified of this guy. I, I really am. And then, not just him, we're in a bad spot, man. <laughs> the Mets are really in a bad spot with this whole Jake thing. And they do have guys that are going to be coming up for contracts. And I know we have, you know, I feel like it's beating a dead horse. I know we have Cohen and the Billions and all that, but it's like how much is too much, you know? Um so I'm like, geez, the Mets are going to have to win. <laughs> if the Mets do re-sign Jake, they're going to have to win in these next two to three years, man, to make to make this right because that's a lot of money that you got in all the players. Well, that is the um, plan, though. I mean, they, they know they, Cohen right now knows that he has to spend money to try to get this team to be able to win now while they work on building the farm system. I just don't know if they still have enough to win. Um, I know, you know, the whole getting a hitter and somebody mentioned Trey Turner. Everybody's in love with Trey Turner. That's great, but if, if power is what guys want, I don't think Trey Turner's the answer. I mean, how much, how many homers he hit? I don't even know. I know well, he's, he's going to hit over twenty homers. Okay, knock off five just for coming to City Field. At least five, because it's not like he's not a, a clear cut power hitter. He's a guy that hits home runs. Guys like that are going to lose home runs here in City Field. And that's a whole nother frustration. Well, aren't they moving in the fences anyway? Supposedly out in right center, right? Which, I, I wonder if they're really doing that because they want a, a fan experience. No way. Is, no way. They're do- really- I'm not buying it. I mean, I'm, I'm sure I mean, that that's a nice side note or a byproduct of it, but they want more offense. Yeah. I, I, listen, I, I, I talked to you many times. How I believe that that right center field gap killed these guys. Like, I feel it killed Pete. They killed Nemo. You know, Nemo even talked about how much he felt comfortable hitting outside the city field. And I, I feel like that sometimes causes guys to get into slumps. You know, you, you rock it a ball out there. You feel like it should go. At least hit the wall and that guy goes and catches it. Now you feel like you got to do something better. Now you got to hit it harder. And no, you're just, just fine. It's just that in this stadium, it wasn't good enough. Just move on, you know? So, but like, listen, I just, like I said, I don't trust Epler. I don't see what moves they can really make. You know, guys are talking about letting Nemo go, let this guy go. Um, 
Well, I don't mind. I mean, you can't bring back the same exact team again. I don't want to do that either. So if, is it going to be, oh, bring back DeGrom, bring back Nimmo, keep the you know keep everybody intact, and then what? Where are they upgrading offensively? So I'd rather let hey, – if hey, Nimmo's going to get paid like hope. a star, let him go. We got to hope that Alvarez hits and maybe Beatty. I don't know, but we got we got to hope that one of these guys hits. We got to hope we get somebody come up, but we got to we get a Michael Harris. We get we get something like that, right? But they're not well, may, right? Maybe with Beatty or Alvarez for now, but again, they're not there yet. Where they're hoping to draft and continue to develop these players, it's going to take years to see them continuing to try to replenish the from the farm system. But for now, it's got to be money. I look, I would not. I'm not giving Nimmo a long-term deal. I'm sorry. I like Nimmo. I'm not going nuts for him. We're talking about way over $100 million or whatever it might be that a lot of teams are interested. Let him go somewhere else. He's a nice player. He's not. You know what Nimmo is? He's R.J. Barrett. He's Julius Randle. That's no. what Nimmo is. No. Come on, Sam. What do you mean? He's there. Yes, he's the equivalent. They're going to pay him like a star, but he's not a star. Ah, jeez. Oh, but how are you going to replace him is my thing. I, like, I don't see the replacement. I, I, let me ask you this. And, and this, these reports are whatever to me, right? We're here today. Who was it? Uh, Rosenthal talking about no interest from, from Atlanta, Texas. Mm-hmm. Eman and uh, Ole will come out today or later on this week talking about who says no. They're, they're definitely still interested. These guys are old. Uh, let me not get offense. But whatever. I did see a report. The Mets may be interested in all. Giosper Hernandez may be available from the Blue Jays. And the Mets may may looking to trade Like, is that a guy you want to go out there and get? To me, I'm like, okay, now we got another fourth outfielder to go along with. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh- I know I, I get it. Look, I'm having a hard time seeing where they're going to improve. So well, I really am. Well, that's kind of the point. I think you touched on a couple of different things, and thank you as always, Hector, for the call. We appreciate it. Where it's going to take a move, maybe that we don't see. I mean, look, for all we know, the Mets could go out there and get Shohei Otani in season. Here's the bottom line with them: you know, and this is unlike the Yankees, which is hard to believe, but it's true. You know. The Mets are going to be big players in every potential situation. They're not going to go after Judge because of the they don't want to ruffle the Yankees' feathers or steal their own guy and the respect for each other, whatever it may be, and that's fine. But other than that, the Mets are going to at least consider all the other options. Now, that doesn't mean that they're going to get DeGrom and Trey Turner and this guy and that guy, but it means that they're going to explore all the potential options. If they get this, maybe they can get that. If they don't get this, then they get that. And the other thing, Alvarez, Beatty, those are a part of it too. Where those guys, you know, people talk about the injuries. I shouldn't say people. The Yankee hierarchy talks about the injuries with Ben Attendi and LeMayu and make it an excuse. Boone, Cashman, and Hal continue to do that. We're not going to make excuses, but everybody was hurt, and that's why we lost. Hmm. Sounds like an excuse to me. Anyway, but Beatty was hurt. Nobody brought up him. And Starling Marte missed that Brave series. You know, nobody's crying about that for the Mets. Anyway, Beatty, Alvarez, those guys are going to have to be impactful players. The other way to do it is money. So maybe the Mets are thinking, I will spend on the pitching and we'll hope to get offensive improvement from a full season of Beatty, from a full season of Alvarez, or at least when those guys are ready to come up. Look, I don't know what exactly they're thinking. And I think it's way too early in the process to start assuming which way they're going to go. There are multiple ways they can go. 
all I know is that it feels like they're focused solely on pitching. And that, to me, would be a mistake. And to your point, we already know that a lot of guys aren't going anywhere. You know, I'd love to see a trade, whether it's Otani at the deadline or something else, that can help out this ball club. But, you know, Mark Canna, what are they doing with him? You know McNeil's staying. You know Marte's staying. You know Alonzo and Lindor are going to be here. Are they going to ride out another year with Escobar? Or are they going to look to move him? I mean, there are a couple of guys who have, you know, who signed these short-term deals where maybe they could move. But Beatty, Alvarez, you figure those guys are going to be players. I mean, they already have, outside of their pitching staff, the, the lineup, a lot of it is already set. Which, there may not be, you know, Vogelback they brought back now. Does that mean he's going to be a DH? Uh, I don't know. Are they going to go out there? Epler's already hinted at saying they're, in all likelihood, not going to go out there and get a bona fide DH specifically. If you read between the lines. So I, I think there's many ways they could go, but for me, I'd be more I'd be more apt to add offense as opposed to continue to double down with the pitching. Not that I don't want to ground back because I do, but I, I'd rather have pitching. I'd rather have hitting. And Damon is calling from Milford. What's up, Damon? How you doing? Good morning. Good morning, Damon. Hey, uh, I want to commend you on your ability to have a conversation on air with your callers and uh, not an argument. I think that's... Uh, that's rare, and uh, I, I enjoy you a lot. How you do a good job. Real quick on the Giants, um, I uh, just wanted to make a couple points about the Giants, and I'm amazed they're doing as well as they are at this point. Um, unexpected, great coaching, uh, doing more with less. But I've been listening to a lot of different things, and I think it's crazy uh, how the NFL is right now, where you have premier teams that – seem to be falling short, and you have underliers or outliers that are are doing really well. The Commanders beat the Eagles undefeated. Green Bay comes back and beats Dallas the NFC East, which is like the worst conference year after year for, I don't know, decade. Hmm. They're coming back strong. They're playing it amazingly. Um, But if you could shed some light to other callers about the franchise in itself, like Gettleman gets a lot of heat about, you know, his tenure. But you got to look at Jerry Reese and what Gettleman did well and what Jerry Reese didn't do well. And, you know, we had Eli Manning for a long time. You know, he got screwed, pulled short, Geno Smith, um, however many different coordinators and coaches. Mm. And where Daniel Jones is at this point in his career, compared to where Eli Manning was, you know, three years in, to his fourth year. And honestly... How well was he playing, you know, throughout with, you know, receivers that we have at the moment? Like, who could really win games with what we got? You know, honestly, our offensive line is pretty good. But then again, Eli Manning's line was okay, you know? Well, I mean, the years years that they won the Super Bowls, the offensive line was very good. I mean, the Giants were able to run the football. And obviously, they've been able to run the football this year, but... They were able to run the football, and then Eli making big plays with his arm. I, I hate the comparison, Jones, to Eli. I get it. I mean, it's from one quarterback to another. But what Eli did, it, it's he's different. He's a different player, completely different player than Daniel Jones. What would what would you say, Damon, would be Daniel Jones' greatest ability? It's obvious. We all know. You know, his capabilities, his uh, 
you know, make plays on. on right. You know, with his, his, ability to, his ability to run. Eli Manning was so right. different in that he had a big arm. And look, Jones has a big arm, too. Just not as accurate. He doesn't throw the deep ball the same way. Eli was elite in throwing the deep ball. Yeah. Eli stood in the pocket. Eli was a guy who was durable and Iron Man. I mean, there are great strengths reading the defense. And look, I know Eli made plenty of mistakes and interceptions and all that, but when yeah. when it counted most, that's when Eli showed up the biggest. And it was a more balanced team. The Giants had a pass rush with Eli right. Manning, whether it was JPP or OC or Strahan, of course. They were they had a great pass rush. They had a solid defense. They could run the football. They were a balanced team that also had a quarterback that could make big plays when needed. They are not that one hundred percent. Yeah, they're not that they're, right now. Right. They haven't been that. They haven't been that since twenty eleven. Honestly, and let, let's face it, you know, Sal, let's be honest. You know, that line wasn't all first round draft picks. They weren't premier players. David Deal, fifth round. Chris Fiber. You know, undrafted free agent. You know, the only first round draft pick that the Giants drafted, Chris Mee. O'Hare came from uh, a free agency. For Kareem McKenzie, right tackle, free agency. You know, what we got right now is similar. And Gettleman's drafts were horrible. I mean, I, I, I didn't love the guy, but it was obvious he was trying to, you know, deal with the, the, the fact that our line, horrible. And, you know, he wanted to have a run first offense and some balance. You know, it was obvious. Well, this is fell short. This is what, you know, it's interesting, Damon, that you bring up Gettleman. And I know that there's nobody around here, including myself, that likes Dave Gettleman. However, when you see the Giants having success this year, this is with a lot of Gettleman's players, or maybe not a lot, but I mean, Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley, two of the bigger, you know, drafts for Dave Gettleman. And you can mention the line, too. You know, they, yeah. this is Gettleman's players. Now, it's not, they're not winning because of those guys. They're winning because the coaches are putting those guys in a position to succeed. So, right. it obviously, wouldn't be happening just with those players, but certainly Gettleman has to look back at this and say, Yeah, I told you Daniel Jones was going to be good, or I told you Saquon Barkley was going to be good, and so on. Right. Well, it's not what I'm saying is, like, right now, the fact they're 7 and 2, and they're number 2 in the NFC East. They have a shot at the wild card. Who knows where they're going to end up? It's amazing. There, but if you look, Ernie, of course, he handed the reins over to to Jerry Reese, right? Jerry Reese, you know what? Couldn't draft, save his life. Just stood pat, took the, the best player. Oh, uh, he kept taking only. skill position player. Drove me nuts year after year. Yeah, but we had four elite. Look, because of that, because he could not draft, he could not get depth for our offensive line. Our offensive line was horrible past our starters. And look, it, it was. It was well, a, a I mean, you're going group. back years. That's why I hated yeah. the Odell Beckham Jr. pick because they could have had Zach That's Martin. Me. They could have had Aaron Donald, and and, and instead Eric they did. We're talking Eli Apple, right. Evan Ingram. I mean, like all first round picks, right? Bust, all bust. And honestly, that carries over because when Jerry Reed was standing there, and 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 look, let's face it, Coughlin gets fired, right? Jerry Reed. I think it was $260 million on free agency and the defense to save his job. And they end up with Ben McAdoo, and they had a couple plays that bounced their way. They ended up 11 and 5. They make the playoffs and they lose. Mm-hmm. The next year, it was more reflective of what they actually were losing season. Agreed. It's been that sense. I've always said, Damon, and thank you for the call. Good stuff. Good reminiscing about the Giants. I've always said that Gettleman's biggest mistake was believing 
that the year prior to him taking over was the aberration. As opposed, you know, when McAdoofus and all that. He thought that that year was the aberration, not the year before. And if you paid close enough attention, you would know the aberration was the 11-5 and year or whatever when they went to the playoffs. That was the aberration. So he made a mistake going all in, thinking Eli had more left and going to build it with Barkley. And that's why I just hated the draft pick of Saquon. You can't take a running back that high when you have so many other holes. But anyway, his biggest issue was misreading or misevaluating what he had. 